Morning, all. It's good to be with you. Uh, some of you I don't know. I'm Sam. Uh, I go to the evening service these days. Uh, so the 9.30 service is considerably earlier than I'm used to getting to church. Uh, many of you are, I do know, but last time I saw you, I may have looked less like a bush ranger than I currently do. Um, it is me under all this. Um, and it's good to be here. Uh, it's good to, to be back in the morning. How about we pray? Uh, I know we've done it, but let's do it again. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks. You speak to us. Now we've heard your word, and we ask you now to... Uh, continue to work in us by your spirit as we reflect on it. Teach us more of who you are and what it is to believe and trust and follow you. Amen. Did anyone make a New Year's resolution that they haven't quite nailed so far this year? Uh, In my experience of New Year's resolutions, um, it's about this point in kind of the cold hard light of mid-January where I sort of haven't quite done the things that I thought that I might have done. Uh, this year, I don't have any particular... Like, I've, I've learnt enough about myself that the resolution of I'm going to do this every day doesn't really work for me because uh, the first day that I don't do it, I'm like, ah, it's, none, of, none of this is worth it. I'm not going to do it anymore. Just no. Uh, I have a couple of things that I'm doing just sort of by the by, but they're sort of a bit more general and vague. Uh, and in the past, in the I'm going to do this every day kind of thing, uh, has anyone ever gone on... The, there's a website called Duolingo. It's for learning other languages. Yeah, there's a couple of sort of... Oh, yeah, that thing. Uh, laughter going on around the place. Uh, it's it's a pretty great website. It's got a whole bunch. It's for learning languages, for learning a language that you don't currently speak. And uh, you can, you know, you can pick up some conversational German or Spanish or Yiddish or uh, all sorts of different things. Navajo, they've got uh, all sorts of different languages that you can learn on this thing. And you can set it up. So uh, the the little kind of icon of Duolingo is this little owl, this green owl. And uh, notifications will come up on your phone saying, hey, you said you'd learn French. You haven't learned French yet today. Come on. Uh, they, they get kind of steadily more passive-aggressive. Um, <laughs> after a while, it's like, these notifications don't look like they're, they're working anymore. We'll stop for now. Uh, but that kind of accountability system uh, is something that uh, is, is quite helpful for that sort of daily habit. Uh, but the accountability system, whether it's an app that passive-aggressively reminds you to do French every day or, or some other thing, it's a bit like, hey, I'm really committed to this thing, but please help me in my uncommitment. Help me overcome the fact that I'm not really all that committed. And that kind of dual nature of our wants, our commitments, our beliefs, our desires, our nature as human beings, it's... It's just that. Like, yes, I am, but no, I'm not. I'm not, but I really want to be. Help me in my uncommitment. Uh, so I play a sport called Ultimate Frisbee, and uh, I go to sprint training with a few guys on my team uh, because, I mean, it may shock you, I'm not much of a sprinter. Uh, and so I go with a few guys to the sprint training to make me do it, because I hate it. It's awful. But going with a few people helps me overcome the fact that I'm not really very committed to doing sprints. I would much rather do other parts of the game instead. 
I think that's an incredibly common part of all of our lives, no matter who we are, with that combination of that mixture of belief and unbelief about our health, about our habits, about our work, our commitments, our convictions. We're like the father in this story as he comes to Jesus and he says, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. I don't think it's a bad thing for us to see us see ourselves a little like this father. I mean, we might end up being like David in the psalm that we read, in some serious trouble, needing a huge rescue from God, and there's this like, astonishing turnaround for David in that psalm. But we might be just like this father. We're believing, we're very much wanting something, but not perfectly, not completely. I believe but I don't. I believe I'm sure not perfect. I believe, and so, Lord, help me overcome my unbelief. So this scene in Mark is Jesus and his three closest disciples, uh, Peter, James and John. They're coming down from the mountain. That was the previous passage that we looked at last week. Uh, We just had a remarkable few events in the life of Jesus and his disciples. Peter... uh, confesses that, hey, it says, Jesus, yeah, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, you're the one who God has sent, uh, and let me tell you what that means. Now, Peter kind of, well, actually, Jesus, uh, he says, well, actually, no, the Messiah is, it, no, he's not going to suffer and die and do all those things. Jesus responds of, uh, yes, actually, the Messiah is going to suffer and die, be handed over on the third day, rise again, and if you want to follow me, then this is what you're following. It's almost to really prove the point of who Jesus is that he takes the three of them up on the mountain and he's changed before. His appearance has changed. He's transfigured. This transformation of Jesus' appearance, we get this little glimpse of his glory, his majesty, his power, and God the Father says, this guy, Jesus, listen to him. Some of all these events together is to, to show us fairly clearly who Jesus is that he's the Messiah, he's the Saviour, he's from God, and what we ought to do is believe him, listen to him, trust him, follow him. And so Jesus and the disciples, they're, they're coming back down the mountain, and there's a bit of a commotion going on as surrounding all the rest of his disciples. The rest of his disciples, who didn't hear from God up on the mountain, by the way. There's a bit going on, and uh, when Jesus says, hey, what's happening here? You see there in verse 17, a man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I bought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that's robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth. He becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they couldn't. Now, this isn't the first time that Jesus has encountered an evil spirit. In Mark's account of Jesus' life so far, Uh, Well, back in chapter 1, he healed a man with an unclean spirit. Towards the end of the chapter, there's just this throwaway line of, yeah, he actually healed a whole bunch of people, like many, many people with demons. He drove them out. Jesus himself talks about driving out demons in chapter 3, and he shows that that's it's it's him working with God's power. In chapter 5, he drives out a whole legion of demons just from one guy who lives in a graveyard because he can't be around anybody else. Chapter 7... He heals a little Gentile girl, that is a non-Israelite girl with a demon, because 
her mother asked him to. And now a father is coming to Jesus and asking for his son to be delivered from an evil spirit. Now I say that all that because it's worth noting in the way that Mark tells his story, the way the gospel writers give their accounts, they put both evil spirits and illnesses of various kinds side by side and Jesus heals both of them but they're not quite the same thing. So whatever is going on here for this particular boy and the the various what we might call symptoms that he has, we might be able to sort of match them up to some kind of condition but the way that Mark is, is telling us this story is what's going on here is a spiritual opposition. It's not merely an illness of some kind. There's a spiritual opposition to Jesus happening here. And whatever's going on here, the disciples couldn't drive it out. And Jesus is a bit exasperated about that. See there in verse 19. He replied to them, you can kind of hear him here, can't you? Ah, you unbelieving generation. Come on. How long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Come on, bring him to me. Now, who is he exasperated about exactly? Not entirely sure. Probably the whole situation, really. It's certainly at least the disciples. Probably also the scribes who are obviously having a go at the disciples in all of this situation. Maybe everybody else in the crowd too as well. Because we find out at the very end of the passage that was read to us, down in verse 29, that the disciples weren't properly trusting God. They say, why couldn't we drive out this demon? He said, well, this one only comes out by prayer, meaning they weren't praying and asking God. I don't know what they were doing. Maybe it was like, hey, we've got this kind of magical name of Jesus that we can use or something. But whatever they were doing, they weren't trusting God through prayer. They weren't asking God and trusting him to accomplish what is impossible for people like you and me and the disciples. And so Jesus, well, he's exasperated, he's sad, he's disappointed at the lack of faith of those around him, but he doesn't reject them because of that. This isn't the only time this happens for Jesus, but his exasperation leads him to compassion. It leads him to salvation. He says, bring him to me. So in verse 20, they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him, he immediately threw the boy into convulsions. This is why I say it's a real spiritual opposition to Jesus going on here. The boy fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening to him, Jesus asked. From childhood, said the father. Many times it's thrown him into fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, he says, have compassion on us and help us. A question from the father in desperation. If you can do anything, please help. Jesus turns around and says, if I can. Because the father's unspoken question here is whether or not Jesus can, can save his boy. That's what he means by help. Save him, please. Save him from this thing that's been going on with him for his whole life. Now, we use the word save 
in quite a few different ways, don't we? Save me a donut. Save me a seat. Save me a seat at church, like down the back, because I don't want to sit in the front row, because it's an Anglican church. Uh, the goalie made an amazing save. The doctor managed to save his leg after he was in a car crash. Jesus saved me. That, I mean, that's a particularly churchy kind of one, isn't it? Jesus saved me. And through Mark, we don't have the word save here, but we've got exactly the same situation going on that Mark has uh, used a, a, quite a significant word for his gospel, which is that Jesus saves people. And early on in Mark, it's a situation just like this of a physical healing that goes on or a a demon position that Jesus saves people from. So he saves people from a, a particular physical situation. And then towards the end of the gospel we have this kind of the, the, the churchy Jesus saved me, big picture kind of idea going on. So in a couple of chapters' time, a rich and apparently very well-blessed man gets an answer that he doesn't like from Jesus. He goes away sad because it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples, talking about entering the kingdom of God, being part of God's people being saved by God, they wonder who can be saved. If this guy can't get in, who can be saved? When Jesus is on the cross, people are mocking him and calling out to him and saying, he saved other people, but he can't save himself. They're probably talking about his physical situation, but Mark's account of the crucifixion points to this ultimate salvation, salvation from sin and death, Salvation to life with Christ. When Jesus talks in this section here, chapters 8 and 9, about following Jesus, what does he say? Anyone who wants to save his life uh, must deny himself, lose it, and follow me. And the same situation is going on here. A scenario that's played out in terms of the physical healing of uh, this little boy, salvation from that situation. But the, the kind of new element, the interesting part about this story that's different from all these other encounters with demons so far in Mark's Gospel, is this interaction between the Father and Jesus about faith, about where he puts his trust about what his belief is. It points to this overall spiritual, physical, all-encompassing salvation because where you put your trust is important. Who you believe is important. What Jesus says to the man is, if I can, look, everything is possible for the one who believes. When I read that, what I expected Jesus to say is something like, everything is possible for God. Like, what do you mean, if I can? Of course I can. Everything is possible for me. Everything is possible for the Father. And so, when he says everything is possible for the the one who believes, does he mean himself? Everything is possible for the one who who truly believes, just like me? Because he's obviously capable. We know that from previous rounds of Jesus versus demons through Mark's gospel. 
And also here, that what goes on is Jesus' kind of standard MO in this situation. He just speaks and the demon leaves. His opposition goes just from Jesus speaking. Demon comes out of the boy in quite a violent manner, and it seems like Jesus has done some more harm than good, but then in kind of a throwaway line from Mark, it looks like he's dead, but Jesus just goes over and takes his hand and gets him back up again. Again, this is not something that Jesus hasn't done before. All things are possible for Jesus, that's for sure. But when Jesus says everything is possible for the one who believes, the Father hears that about as being about him. Because his response in the very next line, in verse 24, immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Everything is possible for the one who believes. And the, and the father says, look, I do believe. Help me in my unbelief. Both things are true for him at the same time. Jesus asks for trust to believe him, to be like Peter at his best, saying, yes, you are the Messiah, like this father coming to Jesus to save his son. But notice how Jesus doesn't require this man to be perfect. This guy comes to Jesus and says, yes, I believe, but not perfectly. I believe you, but help me overcome my unbelief. I'm not doing this perfectly. And Jesus does exactly that. And what I take from that is a fairly good solid dose of relief, actually. Because I'm sure as heck not perfect. Fairly confident that's true of you as well. Most, if not all the time, I'm like this father. I believe, but I really need help in my unbelief, in all sorts of different ways. I fail often. I believe God. I've entrusted myself to follow him as a a follower of Jesus, but there are plenty of times where that's perhaps not the most important thing in my life, or like it really ought to be, but it doesn't come through in the way that I act. I believe, but I'm lazy, undisciplined in prayer. I trust God, but I'm inconsistent in all sorts of ways. I'm unjust. I follow Jesus, but I'm selfish. And I'm a professional Christian. Many of you will know that, uh, I mean, I used to be on staff here at this church. I was one of the ministry team. I've been in some kind of full-time ministry since I started MTS about 19 years ago. These days, I work full-time for the Bible Society as a translation consultant, uh, which means that I have a PhD in New Testament, and I literally spend my time reading the Bible, understanding it better, and then helping people to put it in words for their languages so that they can understand it better as well. That's my day job in addition to the rest of my life as a Christian. And I still, to pick an example that's hardly a moral quandary, I started looking at this passage after Anton asked me to speak on it, and like I looked at it and go, what the heck am I going to say here? I've got about 50 questions. I've got not a great amount of understanding. What's going? What I'm saying is perfect belief is not what is required for following Jesus. That is not the first step. We're always going to have changeable, variable, up and down levels of trust and commitment. But Jesus meets us there anyway and helps us in our unbelief.
which is really good to know. Because it's easy to look around at other Christians who seem like they've got it more together than you do. And it's easy to look at them and get discouraged from trusting and following Jesus and discouraged away from trusting and following Jesus. Whether it's the you know, professional Christian guy with a beard and a Bible job or the ministry staff at church. Or, I mean, honestly, I read David in Psalm 40 and think, that's a lot. He talks about needing saving from uh, the depths of despair and then there's his turnaround to always desiring to do God's will and proclaiming his good deeds and in the assembly and so forth. Or maybe you've just read a Christian book that you really like and you kind of find the author on Twitter and they're talking about how they do family devotions daily and sing hymns with their four-year-old before uh, before supper on Saturday. Like, there are actual Christian authors around who talk about that and Again, that is not me. Maybe it's just the person who you're sitting next to and you think, well, you know, they're just, like, better, you know? The father wasn't perfect when he came to Jesus. That's not why Jesus listened to him. Jesus listened to him not because he was perfect. That's not why Jesus healed his son. It's not because he perfectly believed. Jesus healed the boy because Jesus has compassion it's the kind of guy he is. It's the kind of God that he is. To have compassion, to heal, to do good, to bring us in. The father, the father of the little boy, he believed enough to come to Jesus and trust him and ask for help. I think that's what Jesus calls us to do as well to believe him, to follow him, to trust him, come to him because he's the one who is able to save you. You don't need to be perfect. He will help. And in the process, he will change you. He will mould you. He will make you more and more like Jesus. He'll help you in all sorts of different situations. And actually, part of the way that he'll help you in your variable, changeable belief. The one of the ways that he helps you is actually the church that you're part of. So the person sitting next to you, they're part of your help and you're part of theirs as well. Christian life, it's a bit like a, a spectrum of wherever you are now through to what you will be when Jesus returns. You know, that's the perfect bit out there, not here. And what Jesus does, what the, the Spirit of God does in, in our lives following him is to actually take us there step by step. We will be perfected eventually. But the task is now, with God's help, what's the, what's the next step that way? What's the next step that I could take towards who God would like me to be? With God's power, with God's spirit, in, you know, in relationship with him, what is the step that I could take this way? It might be a really small one. What's the next step 
that you might be able to help the person next to you take. To help as we help each other in our imperfection, in our changeable, variable belief. You might see that quite clearly for yourself or for the person sitting next to you. They might need to talk it through with you. But I think we can be part of God's help to one another through Jesus as we come to him just like this father. We come to Jesus like this father in belief, trusting him, knowing that he is the one who can do what we can't. We come to him in belief to help us in our unbelief. So how about we pray now and ask for exactly that kind of help? Heavenly Father, we believe. Help us in our unbelief. Lord, we know that we are not perfect and that you are. Keep working in us by your spirit. Keep changing us to be more and more like our Lord Jesus. Lord, we know that you are, you are at work in us. You are changing us and one day you will make us uh, fully who you want us to be. So now, work in us by your spirit. Change us. Make us more like Jesus. Help us when we fail. Lord, we trust you. We follow Jesus. We believe. And so help us where we need it in our unbelief. Make us more and more like our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.